Everything F1. Driven by fans, for the fans. And it's lights out and away we go! is still on provisional pole. This time for Stefan and Hamilton have crashed out. It's McLaren and Ricardo that win the Italian Grand Prix. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to the Everything F1 podcast with me, James Tiller. And alongside me from the Everything F1 team, we've got Coops. Hi, Coops. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much. We've also got Sophia from the Everything F1 team. Hi, Sophia. How are you? I'm doing well. And yourself? I'm very good. It's not too cold in the garage today, although I have got my coat on. Uh, I'm surviving in here today. Um, it's, not a, it's not a garage, it's the office. It's the office, yeah. yeah. It's the studio. <laughs> I mean, look at that. That's that's high-tech studio that, there. Although that's, I've still got... not, that's not a fake image, people. <laughs> honest. <clears throat> anyway, we've, we've also got a special member of uh, the panel tonight, a uh, special guest, uh, Sean the Statman Kelly. Hi, Sean, how are you? I am apparently warmer than you. I do not have my jacket on. It is <laughs> shorts and T-shirt weather here in California. Lucky boy. Yeah, uh, until, I have, until I have to pay the bills, because it's really bloody expensive here. But put, putting that aside, <laughs> problems, there's good problems to have. They are, they are. Um, a question I want to ask every single one of you before we go on. What topping will you be having on your pancake tonight, or have you had on your pancake tonight? We'll go to Coops first for the, for the big stories, because it is pancake day that we're recording this on. It's pancake day? Okay. If I were to have a pancake... If you were to have a pancake, what would you have on your pancake? It would probably be a Canadian setup. I quite like the Canadian maple syrup. It's quite nice. Okay. Sophia, same to you. Oh, I'll have like raspberries and a bit of sugar on it. Mmm, nice. Any junk food on yours, Sean, or are you going to go healthy like like Sophia? I didn't realise it was pancake day today, Shrove Tuesday. Neither and we did actually, I. My, yeah, my, me and my wife went out for breakfast this morning and she had pancakes. And <laughs> <laughs> if only I'd known... I would have had a bite of that with the uh, with the syrup and the butter because you know go all in if you're going to have the pancakes go all the way in. Yeah, yeah. Well, I went I went I went for ice cream and strawberry syrup with my, you know, with my pancakes and we, me and the kids just devoured loads. So I'm probably the only one here that has had, actually had pancakes on pancake day. With the sounds of it. Um, yeah, but I have watched someone eat a pancake today. Oh, that's, so that, that's good. That's half a point. That's halfway that's there. Half, that's half points. Half points. Yeah. Although, sure. although <laughs> we've, just, we've we've just decided on new rules to do with the half points, and right, uh, that, okay. doesn't, that doesn't uh, doesn't meet the criteria. You have to have at least two pancakes before they can get points. Right. Well, she <laughs> ate three quarters of the pancakes, which I think means she gets eighteen points. I think. Yes, seventy-five uh, percent. Yeah, something. Confess, I, I'm, I was saving myself having to read the full sporting regulation <laughs> amendments uh, for the flight to Bahrain, um, but we'll get. Well, I'll get there. It's something like that, anyway. Something like that. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for sharing what you had with your pancakes, or what you would have had if you'd have known it was Pancake Day today. What we were going to do today is we're going to talk about obviously 
any of the news that's come up over the past week. Um, we've got Sean here as well, so we'd like to talk about some stats or records from last year uh, and look at the records that might happen and might drop over the next season. Uh, and then we'll just have a chinwag afterwards uh, about Sean uh, and maybe even try and test his knowledge uh, if Sophia has got some secret weapons uh, in her pocket uh, to, to test on him a little bit later in our Stump the Statman. You can find us on all social medias. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. You can also find us on our shiny website, www.everythingf1.com. We would also love it if you hit that bell on your podcast streaming service so you can subscribe to all of our latest podcasts uh, and you'll get them as soon as they drop directly into your earlobes. Okay, well, let's go to the first news article of the day. Coops, what did you want to talk about first? Well, it, it kind of happened about half an hour before we were due to start and it's the FIA's decision regarding Russia uh, as we all know last week Russia decided uh, for whatever reason to invade Ukraine mm-hmm. uh, so universal condemnation towards Russia uh, a lot of the other big sporting bodies have decided to unilaterally ban their athletes like no Russian and Belarusian athletes are allowed to participate uh, the FIA convened a meeting today and it was announced that they will not be banning any... Uh, they're, they're banning team events. So I think as a, there's a, a certain team kind of events under the FIA banner that Russian and Belarusian teams are not allowed to participate. The Russian Grand Prix, uh, although they said under current circumstances initially, it's been cancelled under force majeure. So mm-hmm. F2 and Formula 1 won't be going there, yeah. at least this year. But the biggest thing is they've decided not to ban... Russian and Belarusian drivers. Uh, what they've basically decided is that the Russian Belarusian drivers will have to race as a neutral athlete. Uh, right. And I'd imagine most Russian athletes know about that because they've been doing it for a couple of years already. <laughs> um, so, but another th- another wee thing as well, what they've added in that there'll be no Russian colours allowed in Formula One. So, up until the last day of the test, the Barcelona has had. Russian colours. Now, initially that was kind of frowned upon, but it was allowed. But they've basically said no. Mazepin, Kvyat, Sportsman, and I think there's an F3 driver who's Russian. Mazepin's situation is slightly different because he gets his funding from Alkarai, if that's how you pronounce it, uh, who are owned by his father, who are who is a big businessman within Russia, and there's a lot of issues with sanctions about money. Uh, getting out of Russia, basically. And he's uh, uh, you don't become a big businessman in Russia without ties to the government. So there is, could be some sort of issue with regards to funding. Mazepin's seat in Haas is funded through that money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is potential other ramifications not linked to the FIA decision for Mazepin, which hasn't been dealt with. So Haas might even take the decision anyway out of uh, the <laughs> FIA's hands, basically. There might there might not be any choice. If the mm. funder isn't coming through, then a team like Haas need money to a degree. So, and isn't it going to be difficult for many of the Russians to travel as well via the uh, you know with with restrictions that might be on? I've, I, ha- I haven't got it confirmed, but I think there is something or some talk about Russian visas being cancelled. If that is a thing, mm. uh, there may be something out there. But I have heard probably similar to what you have heard that there are some things happening in regards to that. Well, I'm going to give my two my my two pence on this situation. I, I I'm with the Ukraine with, uh, on this, and I I believe you know I personally think 
not punishing the drivers in in the sense uh, punishing the drivers, but uh, stop them from racing to put their pressure on their, their leader of their country. You know, if the more people that we stop doing, you know, their day to day jobs, they're going to be, go back to their country and say, "Look, hang on, that your actions are uh, out of order. You're stopping us all doing X, Y, and Z." And hopefully, the pressure that Putin gets put under will will do something. And now I, I know there's probably people on this panel that have different opinions to me on that. Um, obviously, it's, I know it's not Mazepin's fault. I'm not blaming Mazepin, but this is what this is what sanctions are, aren't they? They're they're not necessarily. Uh, it's not fair that Ukrainians are getting killed over what Putin wants. So the fact that we're only taking a drive away from a driver uh, is very small in comparison to uh, to uh, what's happening in Ukraine. Have you got uh, anything that you'd like to add to that, Sean? Well, I'm I'm strongly in favour of people who don't wage war. I'm a big supporter of yep. not war. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but also, also big respect to anybody who doesn't threaten me with nuclear annihilation. <laughs> like that too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, as it, as if it needed as if it needed underlining. Mm. I'm not a big fan of people who are sent to destabilise. Uh, a peace that we've had in Europe for most of the past three quarters of a century, notwithstanding yeah. particularly the conflict in the former Yugoslavia, which could be defined as a civil war as opposed to a war between two nations. Mm. Um, but at the same time, um, I, 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 it's un, I'm uneasy at the prospect of sanction, sanctioning every Russian person for the actions of its government, because as anyone who's candidate has lost an election will know you can you can be a citizen of a country while wholeheartedly disagreeing with the decisions of its government absolutely um and it's it's we shouldn't necessarily paint everyone with that same brush of well you're all you're all the same you lot Mm -hmm. um because they're not you know there are many dissident russians and there are many russians who would not agree with this as we have seen and and it's just it it's a bit. It's a bigger ask to ask Russians to go out and protest because of the uh, the way the government handles it. Absolutely. Um, and we do have past precedents in Formula One for turning blind eyes to <laughs> the discrepancies of a national government in order to let uh, athletes compete. I think the biggest example we have was Jody Schechter, who was the world champion in 1979 when he came from apartheid South Africa, yeah. and he raced in a South African Grand Prix in apartheid South Africa, and. You know, we didn't say, why the hell is he competing? I don't, you know, why, why is this allowed to happen? Yeah. You know, because we didn't assume that Jody Schechter was responsible for apartheid. <laughs> so, you know, that's a tough, that's a tough line to walk. And I'm not an expert in world affairs. And, I, and I'm not going to present myself as somebody who has the solution to this. No. Um, but at the same time, I know a lot of people, there are a lot of people out there who are always keen to find ways to dislike Nikita Mazepin. And there may be many reasons why you may dislike him. No, no, um, I don't. I don't dislike him but, as a person, but I, I think it's this, I, I think it's true of all Russian athletes. I, I, I believe the football team should be stopped, which they have been, because it, I think it will put pressure on the government because these people, we, you know, um, well, they're, yes. they're, 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 they're losing out on their jobs. Uh, I, I don't dislike them as people. Uh, you know, I, I, I've supported Mazepin through certain aspects of last year. So it's not that I've got a hate towards Mazepin. Um, it's it's just my my opinion, uh, obviously. Sure, sure. For, for the mean, pressure I, on the government. That's, that's But yeah, 
I, I mean, I understand the reasons why, but then we also have to think about well, what are what have been our own our, our own actions in the past? For instance, when UK and US forces invaded Iraq, if mm -hmm. the United Nations had declared sanctions on the United Kingdom and the US, uh, would the populace there have decided right? Well, we have to protest our government, or would it have gone the other way and they would have said, well, we you know, screw the UN? You know that you can also have the opposite reaction yeah. as Putin himself is discovering you can create the opposite reaction to what you were intending with your actions so mm -hmm. uh, I, I I hesitate I basically I'm saying I'm on the fence about this particular bit I'm not on the <laughs> fence about I'm not on the fence about um opposing the war no of course I, and I, we understand that to, completely yeah, yeah when it comes to how do you uh, how do you deal with the situation of Russians who want to compete as fairly as they can. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, that's a that's, that's a hot potato that I don't have an answer to. Um, there was a statement made from Daniel Kvyat on the situation. I don't want to dwell on this too much because obviously it's, it's a bit doom and gloom. But it's um, it's obviously important to, to touch on all the all the topics that are going on today uh, uh, this week uh, as well in the, the Formula One world um, and motorsport world in general. But Coops, have you got the uh, statement there uh, to hand? So he, he said, I really hope for a peaceful solution to the situation in Ukraine uh, and that we can all live in peace. Hopefully all parties can find a solution by sitting together and through a respected dialogue. It horrifies me to see two brotherhood nations in conflict. I don't want military action and wars to influence the future of humanity. I want my daughter and all children to enjoy this beautiful world. I would also like to highlight and address all sports federations uh, across the world, including the IOC, that sports should remain outside politics and disallowing Russian athletes and teams from participating in world competitions is an unfair solution and goes against what sport, what sport teaches us in, a, in principle, the unity and peace. Who else, uh, who else, if not as sports people, will help to glue the nations together in the upcoming times? Okay. Well, that's it, it's probably worth leaving it on that. Yeah, he's got a good point, and I, I say I, I do. I kind of appreciate the sentiment that he was that he was making in that. Uh, I don't necessarily just agree with the the process, but as, there's many different ways to look at these sorts of things. Let's move on to something a bit more cheery. Um, as uh, we got Sean, obviously, who does live over in the states uh, over the week. Uh, and, and the past few weeks or and months, actually, we've known that uh, Andretti has been trying to bring a team to the F1 grid. Um, that's Michael Andretti. Um, Sean, would you be happy to see another American team on the grid? Absolutely. I mean, I've said for a generation that there should have been far more uh, US participation in Formula One. And uh, uh, the fact that the previous rights holder was not interested in promoting Formula One in the US, I have long said, against some considerable pushback, that that was an intentional act of mm. sabotage. And now that uh, we have uh, basically any other promoter, <laughs> any, any, any other promoter, would mm. look at the US and say, look at all that lovely disposable income. Why are we not getting in on that? As any sane promoter would. Yeah. Um, the only reason why a promoter wouldn't do that is if there is some other nefarious act going on to, to sabotage that. Mm. Um, so now we're getting back to a situation where we were potentially in the 1970s when um, the US cared a lot about Formula One and Grand Prix racing in general. Um, the fact that we have two races in the US for the first time since 84. Um, we have potentially, we could have potentially two teams. That mm -hmm. hasn't happened, uh, two US-based teams. I mean, I think the last time off the top of my head, we're probably talking about Penske and, well, Shadow were US-owned um, in 76, uh, 77 sort of time. Um, 
yeah, it's it's good times. I think to have America involved, I mean, it takes it takes Formula One to the next level. I've told everybody, you know, think of it. from the day the Beatles landed to do the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah, if you yeah you have to break America to really be a global success. That mm-hmm. was that was the, the the benchmark. And every every everybody in sports, everybody in entertainment knows. To be really global, you have to break America, but you have to treat it as its own separate thing. It's not just another separate country. It's a whole continent. It's like breaking a whole continent. So the fact that now you've got ownership, it's really, really pushing F1 in the US is great because I know there's a lot of, um, what's the word, Um, you know, pomposity, like towards drive to survive fans who come to the sport. Yeah. I think it's fantastic because all, all these new new fans um and i noticed this in austin when i was doing the pit walk i thought there's a lot of young fans here i've noticed you know formula one fans getting grayer and grayer <laughs> and suddenly like wow i feel like the old guy here i'm 41 <laughs> and i'm and i'm i'm now on the older side of this demographic whereas previously i was the younger one that's fantastic because that means that well these people are going to be here for the next 50 years you know where previously i was thinking well where are our next fans coming from so it's it the whole thing's fantastic and if andretti managed to get in i think that'd be great too it's a great name mm-hmm. i didn't realize just how serious they were about this um it's probably fair to say that i thought it was more it might it might be a, a, a leverage for something else right. you know maybe we'll go and do f1 because we want indycar to do a b and c things and they don't want the competition or it might be some sort of strategizing mm-hmm. but no they they need to be genuinely serious about it and and the fact that gene Gene Haas doesn't want to sell, just shows you now, we're in the new world order now, where previously, before the financial regulations come into play, if, G- if Gene Haas gets a phone call from Michael Andretti and said, I give you 200 million for it, sold, click, problem, <laughs> right, that's it. I don't need to deal with rich energy. I don't need to deal with Euro Kaylee, nothing. Instantly it's gone. Now you've got a situation where Gene Haas gets that phone call six times from Andretti and he says no every time because Gene knows being a businessman, I need to sit on this because this is going to balloon in, in worth. Now that we have these financial regulations that really lock in the cost of doing business in this sport and it doesn't get out of control, and we have certain barriers to entry for new teams, it's going to appreciate in value markedly, which I still think is why the, the Alfa Romeo Saudi deal collapsed. I think at the 11th hour, they were talked off the ledge when they realized, what are we, what are we selling here? Oh my God, mm-hmm. if we sit here for a few more years, this is going to inflate in value. And they probably called Andretti back and said, uh, we've come up with a few last minute caveats to the deal. But, uh, you know, everything's still fine. You just have to admit that we're selling to you and we'll still be in control. Is that okay? No. (laughs) In that case, case the deal's off. Click. You know, so it's all very rosy. I know I sound like I'm cheerleading for Formula One's ownership group right now. (laughs) I promise promise they're not sitting the other side of my laptop pointing a gun at my head or anything like that. Um, But there there are reasons to be cheerful about the way things are going because... Previously, you know, remember when Michael, uh, Michael Schumacher was at the, the top of his career, he would come to America because no one would know who he was. Mm. It's the only place he could go where he could just move about like a normal person. Probably not going to be happening for the Max Verstappens and Lewis Hamiltons of the next generation. <laughs> so what's it like? It, it has, do you know when you're walking around, this, you know, and meeting new people in America and you say, oh, you know, I like this sport. I, I, work, I work within this sport. Um, I, I guess historically people would have probably not known so much. Is it, is it becoming more widely known? Obviously, uh, we had great attendance at the last uh, American Grand Prix. The best example I can give is 
I've lived in the US since 2007. Mm. And for the vast majority of those years, I've always said, like, I have this job that happens separately to what happens here. Like, I have these two separate lives that never, never seem to intersect. Mm-hmm. And then in the last year or so in my gym, um, increasingly, a lot of the people there have told me, so I was watching this Netflix show about Formula One. And I was never interested in it before, dot, dot, dot. The conversation goes the same every time. Mm-hmm. Isn't that what you do? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's what you do, isn't it? Yeah. Wow, that's so cool. How long have you been doing that? 20 years. What? Yeah, we never asked. I mean, I just said I do the Formula One thing. And you, and you were like, well, okay, I don't know what that is. Um, and now suddenly that has, that has acquired a certain amount of um, public relations value that it never had before. You know, because uh, they'll ask me, so which is the best race to go to? I'd really love to go to a race. You know, like, have you met the drivers? Have you met this person? Have you ever done this? Have you ever, have you ever done this with a car? But it's like, wow, I never had all these questions before. And that to <laughs> me, it, it's not, that's not interesting in me personally. That's interesting in the sport. You know, that, that's, that's a surefire sign that there has been a step change in where the sport's going in this country. And, um, you know, with the, I think America will properly come to the party this year. When you've got Miami there, because you've wow, got yeah. this what I've called the what I've called the Instagrammer's wet dream. Um, <laughs> I said, finally, there's a race in the US that Instagram influencers can go to, get really, really close to the cars, closer than most civilians will ever get, and then take pictures of themselves looking completely uninterested. That's <laughs> that's the that's the tipping point when you can do that, and it's like wow. There's such and such a person who's got five million Instagram followers, and look at him. He don't give a shit about the red ball going right past him. <laughs> that's that's something you need. It's good to see Andretti is very serious. There've been the comments down the IndyCar uh, paddock. They they know how serious he is about getting a team w- within F1, even considering that he's got to have two hundred million to buy uh, his way in. Um, there have there has been a little bit of pushback, hasn't there, uh, from, from Toto Wolf, and he he had questions over the ser- seriousness and, and whether they were kind of committed properly to, to, to the idea of it. Yeah, I think that's just because if you've got 10 teams, then, you know, the total assets of Formula One are contained within 10 teams. Well, then if you add an 11th team, you have to divide those assets between 11 teams. Mm. So if, if there's 11 teams and then someone else in the pit lane wants to sell, it's then worth a little less because you're dividing that all by 11 instead of, of by 10, you see. So consequently, it is natural that the other competitors would be like, hang on a minute, <laughs> We really want this clan coming in, whoever yeah. it is. I mean, it's not a clan. I'm not saying Mike uh, Andretti's definitely not a clan, but no. um, I understand their reticence because suddenly they're looking at wow, this actually affects the value of our assets as well. So that's where that cynicism comes into it. And then drivers, obviously, it opens up the the possibility of bringing two additional drivers to the grid. And now we've always got problems with. Uh, space for, for for drivers coming through um no doubt we'd we'd like to see some american drivers uh, come across so who would you who would you like to see out of the current american flock um join the grid if if andretti were to pull one in would it be colton herter or any of the others well colton herter is the 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 chosen one it seems but i would i would counter that thought by saying i don't understand why American-owned F1 teams are seemingly pressurized into running American F1 drivers. I mean, we mm. don't do that with Ferrari. Ferrari are never pressured to run an Italian driver. Um, so why are American teams pressured such? 
you know, mm-hmm. Aston Martin, for instance, albeit Canadian owned, um, are based in the UK and are a UK brand. No one said to them, so you're going to run two British drivers, aren't you? Um, <laughs> no one said that. No. So why, why is there always pressure for Haas and perhaps latterly Andretti to run an American driver? You know, if they could get Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen, they're not going to say, oh, no, sorry, we're going to run this guy straight out of US Formula 2000 instead. I agree. I take, I take your point there. I take your point there. Um, but I'm sure from a, a patriotic kind of standpoint, the Americans would like to see some of their own uh, sure. within the but, team. But again, uh, counter to that, you know, if Colton Herter got the Mercedes drive, that would be far more interesting than saying, let's put him with Andretti just because it's the same nationality. Yeah. You know, it should be a case of if there's not having an American in the sport is not enough. It needs to be an American at the front. You know, it's Rio Harianto was in in a manner in uh, what, 2016? Um, hmm. That didn't revolutionize the sport in Indonesia, <laughs> but it might have done. It might have done if he'd won half the races that year. That might have been a revolution. Uh, good, another good example, Alonso. When Alonso made his debut in 01 with Minardi, the Spanish driver I hadn't been a Spanish driver on the podium since 1956. So it didn't, it kind of flew under the radar. Mm. When he moved to Renault in 2003, the start of that year, they, there was not a TV deal in place in Spain. No F1 TV deal in, in place in Spain when he joined Renault. And Bernie, Bernie had to intervene to get that deal done. And then, of course, he goes off and the rest is history. Yeah. Um, so um, now Formula One's massive in Spain. So, you know, you, it's, it's about where they are on the grid as much as the nationality of them. Absolutely. But it's good to see, uh, anyway, that, that it's spreading in America. Uh, the, the sport's picking up speed uh, and, and there are interested, interested parties uh, looking to purchase their way in. Um, Sophia, have you got a news article that you'd like to speak about this uh, week? Um, yeah. So as of tomorrow, F2 and F3 have, are starting their testing in Bahrain. Um, we have the full driver's lineup for F2. Um, F3, there's one seed still to be confirmed and that is with Jezzos? I think I'm pronouncing the name wrong, but they're still missing one driver for that. Um, everyone else has been confirmed for it. F2, there is only one team that doesn't have a rookie in their pairings. So there's a lot of new drivers coming up. We even have a driver that comes from GT, not from Formula 3, uh, trying Formula 2 for the first time as well, which will be quite an interesting pair up for sure. But also just quickly jumping back as well with um North Americans, having lived in Bermuda, born and raised in Bermuda, traveling back in the last couple of years, it's becoming big back home as well. And we're from like a lot of motor car, motorbike backgrounds and such. Drive to Survive definitely picked it up completely, especially during lockdown and COVID. People bored out of their minds and watching Netflix. And it's the same way reverse as well, because IndyCar is becoming a bit popular in the UK now. Yeah. To some extent, it's not like how F1 is into the US, but it is starting to grow as well. So it's going to be quite interesting. But yep, testing taking place tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. It's not streamed online. It might be on F1 TV, but it's not on Sky Sports as of, according to my TV guide this morning. Um, <laughs> But that will be quite interesting. There's also a new team taking over into F2 as well, replacing HWA. They are Zanforth, Zandretti, I think. Um, Van Amersfoort. 
that yeah that one <laughs> cannot pronounce that so sorry um but yeah it's gonna be quite an interesting f2 and f3 season for sure uh, have you got a comment on the f2 and f3 uh sean i, I know you provide uh stats to coverage for that as well don't you yeah yeah i do um uh, i mean I, I, I do provide it i do i do think it's um the lack of seats in formula one makes it tough for any any f f2 aspirant to break through no matter how good their results and we have a situation now with oscar piastri mm-hmm. who has won f3 and f2 championships in consecutive seasons who doesn't have an f1 drive which is a real shame because you know he's matched what Charles Leclerc did, he's matched what George Russell did, as, as to win both championships consecutively. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, he's done what he's got to do. But what you say, I mean, there's only 20 seats in Formula One. Unfortunately, um, it would be nice if it was a little bit cheaper to compete in Formula Two and Formula Three. So, I mean, some of the the fact that budgets reach seven figures to reach an F, you know, you're not even in F1 yet. Yeah. Um, you know, that's uh, it'd be nice if we could bring that down a little bit. But the racing itself is very good, um, and it, again, it's, it's, it all comes down to price. I mean, there are certain guys uh, in Formula Two who I think, can we get these people out the way now, please? We've 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 established what the bar- we've established what the level of competitiveness is, and you're not it. So, yeah. you know, there does come that Simon Cowell moment of, sorry, no, can we see the next one, please? Um, you know, some of them some of them look good, but obviously. Quan Yu Zhou was kind of on that kind of level at the time because he hadn't won, had he, he you know, he backed by a lot of money from you know Chinese sponsors and whatnot to be to, to come into the sport. But he kind of he, he was doing well enough, but uh, he wasn't winning championships. Well, in Zhou's case, um, he was a regular podium finisher before he finally got a win. And actually, his first win was the half point race in Sochi when Jack Aitken crashed with uh, I think it was with Mazepin, I think, was it? Oh, no, it was, or was it um, Giotto? Can't remember. Anyway, it was a big crash. They had it at Sochi, and it stopped. And 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 Joe got the win. It was half points. Um, so Joe was a regular podium finisher. He would already established. Okay, this guy can handle it a bit. You know, mm. he's obviously he's obviously got some skills. Yeah. Um, so he he to me he had earned he had earned a shot to say that you know Piastri's not in there. But that's not to say that Joe shouldn't be given a chance. Um, and. You know, my personal belief is that Kimi Raikkonen was had dined out on past glories for far too long, um, and it was back time. It was back yeah. time he was put out to pasture. Um, so I'm glad that that, he, that someone's getting the opportunity from F2. You know, because if if no one from F2 graduates, then what's the point of the series? Yeah, you may as well just scrap it. You know, you may as well just scrap it and say, right, who was good in cars? You, okay. Have you got money? Okay, you're in, and yeah. just just cut the middleman out completely. Because you'd save yourself millions of euros. The, the surprise of, for us uh, that we spoke about very, uh, you know, briefly last week was uh, Jamie Chadwick that didn't she didn't manage to get a seat either in F three or F two, um, and obviously had to remain. Although it's a positive thing, we, we saw it as a positive thing actually for her to when, when we kind of spoke about it for her to have another go in W series because of the spotlight that's going to it's going to bring to the sport hopefully. But it is a shame that she she didn't get to kind of move. Yeah, laterally across to either F three or maybe up to F two, and because we we believe on the podcast that, that she she deserved that shot. But yeah, but but I would say in, in Jamie Chadwick's case, the pressure would be on because she represents women. The W series, the whole mm. concept would be resting on her shoulders. So it wouldn't have been enough to just get her a seat. It would have had to be in a Pramer, you know. Because mm-hmm. she's like, okay, you you got to put her in the best. You better put her in the best team. Because if she goes in there and, and fails, that means all those women are useless. 
because she's yeah. the best one you got and she was crap. So that's big, big pressure to get that right. So it better, it, you know, I, I, it, I do say, you know, being back in the series, like what, what's in it for her, but at least don't put her in with like a, some tail end Charlie in another formula because then people that that will be used to launch pot shots at her sure. at women drivers in general and the series as a concept um so i remember jonathan palmer saying once actually about one make formulas this is actually almost unrelated but you know you've you got to make sure you always got to make sure that um that drivers have something to blame as opposed to their lack of talent so mm. you, have to, you have to make sure there's some discrepancy in single make formulas they're not some some of them are more single make than others but uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. I would love to see, I, I mean, I would love to see what you would do in a formula one test just out of, just out of curiosity, you know, she's got to get um, a Friday this year. There's, there's got to be the, you know, she's got enough points now to, to have a Friday free practice. Um, she, I think she's got 30 points, uh, which, which, which is enough for a Friday free practice. Let's see how she, how she gets on. Well, yeah. I mean, she's a Williams development driver and Williams put Susie Wolf in the car at Silverstone in yeah. 20. 15 was it 2014 2015 yeah it was um, early on yeah uh so you know there's history there you know why not do it people Absolutely. are really interested to see how she goes because they already the thing is uh, in Susie Wolf's case she was a DTM driver and perhaps people weren't necessarily aware of her in the in the way that Chadwick is is known now and that's what the W series really has done is yeah. actually put female names in the equation as opposed to uh being sort of token sort of far off thought now yeah. it's a case of Oh, we actually, I can say genuinely, hang on a minute. You know, I've been at the racetrack and say, hang on a minute. I want to sit on and watch the W series race here and see what happens. Yeah. And, you know, and so you're watching all women, like, so, and it's just like watching any other race, you know, so it's like, well, now suddenly the focus is on them and that raises their profile, which is great. You know, look what it's done for Alice Powell. It kind of it took her back off the scrap heap and reminded everybody she was a racing driver, mm. you know, Emma Kimmelainen, no one would have known Emma Kimmelainen's name until now, you know, there's, 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 there's a lot to be said about it. I know some. I know there are some. Um, there's some female drivers out there who feel like it's segregation, um, but it's not. I don't see it as segregation. I see it as reminding people, hey, you know, you could put these people in the car as well. You know, yeah. You know, it, it, it's not just. It doesn't have to be all guys. I don't know where that's come from. Absolutely, and and as uh, as I we mentioned very briefly last week, it's. It's good for the W Series in that the, it's the blockbuster name for the for the series. You know, Jamie Chadwick, two-time champion, here to get her hat trick. Uh, it's like if Liberty Media were, were faced with the prospect of losing Hamilton, they'd be like, "Oh, we'll probably lose a bit of audience here, a bit of kind of bit of the blockbuster names." Um, it, it, it's in the best interest of Liberty to keep Hamilton on for as long as possible. Um, obviously, he probably will go in the next couple of years. Um, but in that in that sense, for the W Series, Jamie Chadwick is also that kind of showbiz name and now they've got Caitlyn Jenner who's going to bring that Hollywood attention to to the to the sport as well I, we we looked at it at the end of uh, our discussion last week and thought actually you know it's quite a positive thing um for women drivers hopefully um and, the, and the Caitlyn it. Jenner thing would never be happening in a million years were it not for Liberty's push to get the US market sure exactly um and they you know I think a lot of people forget Caitlyn Jenner um, almost literally in a former life was was a huge was hugely involved in motorsport. Um, was actually an on air personality with um, a U.S. television broadcasting. Uh, what 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 was kart race back in that back in the early eighties? What was kart the breakaway yeah. from USAC IndyCar? Um, so you know it's an environment that is familiar. You know, mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's, there's a lot that's positive, but it is a shame. 
because I, I would love to see Jamie Chadwick, at, at the very least, uh, let loose in a Primer F3 car, because then sure. we'll know what's what. You know, then it's like, okay, there's no excuses now. You've got the best equipment. We know you're a champion. And you're too good for this level. It's time to go somewhere else. Um, so hopefully at some stage it will happen. Coops, next article. Uh, poor, so tell us about the animal, the, the porpoising. Um, <clears throat> so this is an issue that's it affected the ground effect cars back in the day, the first time round, and it's happening again. So basically what happens is the, the way that the new cars work is the, the air goes underneath the car, it kind of sucks them down to the ground. That's where they get their grip now. That's where the majority of their downforce is to come from. The problem is at some point, the porpoising is caused when the air goes under, the downforce happens, then it stalls, lifts the car back up, and then it re-engages again, and it comes back down. And that's when you get that kind of porpoising kind of up and down. It's not quite porpoising, but that's the best way to describe it. So it's, it's a very quick thing. It, the air goes under, the downforce stalls, the car lifts up, it re-engages, it goes down, and it keeps going. Uh, I think the worst, most of the teams, I think McLaren didn't really have any issues with it. But Alfa Romeo were really quite taken aback when they first went out and were like, oh, wait a minute. And then there was images online of the Ferrari giving it a quite good bounce along the street. Um, but it's it's a serious thing because the uh, drivers are going to have to start wearing mouth shields if they continue bumping up and down like like well, they do. And uh, <laughs> in, in, in the extreme, it can cause the car to just bounce itself to bits. Uh, I think they said the, the, it's a very easy solve from what I've heard. Though, you know, other you know, I think Gary Anderson in the race has said that it is an easy fix in one way, but it's not an easy fix in a sense of fixing it where it doesn't reduce the competitiveness of the car or the effectiveness of the rest of the car. So, yeah, it is an issue, but these are very impressive people who <laughs> will probably have it figured out by the time we get to Bahrain. But it was quite a, an eye-opener when you saw the clips of it from the, the Barcelona test of these cars rattling along the road. Uh, well, it's it's a word that we're probably going to get used to over the over, over this year, and we'll probably see it in, in, in effect on, on the cars. Um, do, does anyone else have anything to say about porpoising? Uh, do you remember it from back in the uh, original kind of um, ground effect cars, uh, Sean? I'm not quite that old. Um, no, but the, you, you uh, must have watched era. historical. historical yes, yes. Uh, the, 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 ground effect, the ground effect era ended in 1982 uh, mm -hmm. when I was only two years old. And my <laughs> first race was 1987. So I didn't miss it by much, but I'm not quite that old. Um, <laughs> I, actually don't think, I actually don't think we'll hear much about it once the season starts. I right. think it's just what's happened is, is that... Um, Grand effects, having been banished at the end of 82, long before we could design cars on a computer, back back in the days when we had draftsmen's uh, in drawings and so forth, um, it's just the simulations have not, have not been, um, they haven't had that concept introduced to them. So that's why it probably crept up on them at the first test. And I'm sure people like old hands like Adrian Newey, who still use draftsman's stuff, you know, and worked in the days of ground effect, probably had factored this in. Um, and perhaps perhaps they're not suffering, they won't suffer from it as much as other teams. But I suspect it, it will be a relatively quick fix. And also it, you will drop a few points of downforce to try and make it a little bit more stable. But I, I honestly think it won't take long for them to sort it out. It's, it is, this is what the first test is for. You know, you get these imbalances and things where you think, oh, uh, let's, okay, let's, try something a bit different there. Um, but I'm not expecting it to be a, I'm not expecting it to be an ongoing 
problem across the season because the um, there was plenty of knowledge, plenty of engineering knowledge about it in the 80s as well. So they should know how to fix it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. I think the, the biggest issue with porpoising is you can't replicate it in the wind tunnel, but to get the car to get low enough for it to activate the flow the way they want it, you're sending the model down the, the wind tunnel or you're ripping the belt. So to have it sitting at a certain height, it doesn't replicate the issue because the yeah. issue is to do with how low it gets. So as you say, Sean, once you hit the first test and you get low enough, the cars start doing it. Then they're like, ooh. And right. majority of the engineers in the garages weren't alive back then, really. Or as you say, <laughs> they were probably still in you know, nappies and playing with their cars and stuff. So they've never had to deal with this before. So as you say, right. the, uh, it probably won't be an issue by the time we get to Bahrain. The first the, if the first practice day in Bahrain in a couple of weeks, it will probably not even be mentioned. But it was at interesting worst, to see it. At worst, it'll be, look, you know, we're going to have to dip, do without a few points of downforce for the first couple of races while we design a fix for this. Um, but you can't have the car doing that in high-speed corners, because if you're going to go around a high-speed corner and then suddenly the floor stalls, then you'd be, <laughs> you'd be spat off the racetrack instantly. Yeah. So you can't... Yeah. It's fine when it's going down the straight. It just looks funny. You know? mm. But when you go around a corner at that speed, quite a different outcome. Um, so, you know, uh, uh, the uh, the center accident supposedly was was attributed to certain underbody stall, even though that wasn't a ground effect era. You know, there's still a diffuser on the car back then. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you can show you how a car can be potentially offered as an ex- a way for spinning the car off the road. So I'm sure they'll... There might be a few examples where, okay, we don't have quite the downforce we thought we would, but it's still within a tenth of where we thought we'd be, you know. Mm, absolutely. Okay, well, I think that's all the news articles that we needed to speak about. Well, let's let's focus on our guest uh, and anything that he can bring to the podcast and uh, kind of stats and records that maybe happened last year and maybe that he's looking forward to falling or potentially falling. Uh, this year in the, in the coming season. Uh, let, let's talk about last year. It must have been quite a record-breaking season last last year. Um, were, there, were, were there many many that fell uh, to, to the two con- title contenders or for, for the rest of the grid? There probably was, but I can't remember any of them now because I've been two months <laughs> two months away from me doing other stuff. I'm sure it was a great season. I heard a lot about it. Apparently, I was there. Um, um, and I'm sure it ended really well and there was no controversy and everybody went home happy. Um, yeah. uh, it, ended, it ended under the safety car. You might be still in a job. That's right. That was it. Because I, I went to the toilet on the second to last lap. And then when I came out, everybody was fighting and arguing. I was like, what happened? I, I, I was only gone for a minute. So um, you're saying the record that it does hold is the most controversial ending to a season? Is that, is that, well, is that... it's one of them. It's one of them. I, I see. I've said to many people, I thought last season was the best season we've ever had in Formula One history. And there are many people, predominantly younger than me, who will say, "Ah, how dare you say that? That's heresy. You know, how dare you insult the legacy of Saint Ayrton by suggesting <laughs> that this was better than anything that Ayrton Senna was ever involved in?" Which is how it normally goes. Now, I lived through and watched all three of Senna's world championships in real time. Yeah. And this was a better season than that. And the reason I say that is because the racing was better. There was more overtaking. There was more, uh, there was just as much, if not more needle between the two title protagonists. And it all boiled down to this incredibly controversial finish, which is so typically Prost and Senna. 
You couldn't <laughs> have had it better. Where basically it all ends with them, everybody arguing with each other, and we can't decide who's the legitimate champion. It's just brilliant. It's like it's so Formula One. You know, it, it doesn't end. It doesn't end heroically. It all ends in a fight. I mean, you can't ask for more than that, can you? Um, it, it's uh, that's. It's like it's. I tell you what, it's like it was like watching Oasis on tour. You know, it was just you don't know what's going to happen next, and then the whole thing ends with the two of them having a fight. Which one's Noel and which one's Liam? Well, you, you, you make your own mind up on that one. Um, but it was great that um, we had that fight between two teams as well, not just two teammates, because we were used in recent years to when there was a, a title um, decider that it would be the two Mercedes drivers and we'd already eliminated everybody else from, from the equation. The fact that we had two different teams um, was, was a genuinely refreshing. The fact that, you know, Max Verstappen won as many races last season as he had had done in his career to that date. Um, was a big, big step change in performance for Red Bull. Yeah. Um, and for Honda, who of course have the atonement of having so much criticism hurled at them, including from me um, in their time at McLaren. <laughs> Yeah. for what was apparently substandard offerings. But now I think uh, upon review, upon further review, you know, I think some of, there's plenty of blame to be shared at McLaren as well, because once Honda moved to Red Bull, suddenly it was a different proposition and much more reliable and, uh, and much more successful. So yeah, the only shame is, is that Honda officially at least pulled the plug when they did because they just scaled the mountain and you know perhaps they could have set themselves up for long-term success and instead they've said thanks but no thanks we're off but kind of not at the moment now they've now they've kind agreed to cut, kind of cut they're kind of staying until 2025 now kind of yes and i'm interested to hear an umbrella what what um how is that going to be presented to the fia like are we calling this a honda or are we calling it a red bull because <laughs> if it's a honda you know we have to put everything in the honda category in statistics and if it's a Red Bull, we have to call it a completely new thing. Right. Uh, it's got it's got HRC written on the engine cover, Honda Racing Company. Yeah. And if it's still a Honda, uh, doesn't have implications for Red Bull as a new powertrain provider whenever they come in, because there are certain restrictions on how that can be handled. Mm-hmm. So there is actually a genuine question to ask there. Like, is this a Honda or is it a Red Bull? What are we calling it? Um, not just, you know, beyond just people like me in terms of, okay, what column are we scoring this in? Hmm. Um, yeah, the, we, I, I'm interested to see how that ends up in Bahrain. You, you'll find out it, soon it, enough. <laughs> yeah, uh, they're, they're going to call it a watch, I think. And have they done that already? <laughs> yeah, they did do that. <laughs> yeah. And that's the second time, the second time that we'd had a tag on the grid because, of course, tag was the name of the Porsche, the Porsche. engine that was yeah. in the back of the McLaren hmm. up yeah. until the end of 87. Uh, so there's tag. So in the in the record books there is tag and there is tag Hoyer, but they're two different things. Mm. But of course, neither of them were actually tag. They were Porsche and Renault. <laughs> That's like the super tech engines, but they're not Renault. Just well, they were they were originally. Yeah, they were basically old Renaults that they weren't servicing anymore. You know, and and, and Mecha Chrome and Supertech took over yeah. servicing arrangements and. Um, which in the case of Mechachrome was normal because Mechachrome usually serviced Renault's customer stuff anyway. Um, and then Flavio set up Supertech, I think, to make some money out of it, as only Flavio would. <laughs> um, and they kept, you know, they kept them going. I mean, three years after they pulled out, they were still using those old engines. So uh, good luck to them. Last year, we had um, sprint races for the first time. How did that mess up your uh, Excel spreadsheet? With all your statistics, it didn't. It didn't actually have that great of an impact. Uh, we have a much bigger difference this year for reasons which I shall explain. Um, 
since the dawn of time, um, since the days when, you know, um, Sir Isaac Newton discovered the laws of motion and so on. Um, <laughs> Are we going far pole, back? <laughs> pole position was uh, accredited to the person in pole position on the published starting grid for today's race. That's how we define pole position. How, the, how we define who was in first place, that's always been open to question. We've had varying qualifying formats down the years. Mm -hmm. Hasn't just been knockout qualifying since 2006. We had briefly elimination qualifying in 2016, which went so well terrible. after two races. <laughs> that um, was terrible. We had, we had one lap qualifying. We've had two lap qualifying. We've had a single 60-minute session. We've had two 60-minute sessions, one on Friday, one on Saturday. We've had varying qualifying sessions. But ultimately, pole position belonged to the guy who was in first place on the published starting grid for the, for the race that day. Right. A good example of where, those, where that does not apply, um, German Grand Prix 1959, Cliff Allison, fastest in the Ferrari at Arvus. Uh, he was a reserve driver and as such had to start from the back of the grid. He was the driver who was fastest in qualifying. He was not on pole position for that race, but he was fast in qualifying. That was the first example of a driver not being fastest in qualifying uh, who was fast in qualifying, not being our pole position. So right. fast forward to 2021, we have a situation like at Silverstone, Hamilton's fastest on the Friday session, which people know as conventional qualifying. Yeah. But in Saturday's sprint, Max Verstappen wins it and thus wins the pole position. So all that hullabaloo about, hang on a minute, shouldn't be Hamilton who's on pole position. No, it shouldn't be and never should be. And all season, I had to argue this point out with everybody, including people in Formula One who clearly didn't understand this. And it's very irritating when you've been 20 years in Formula One and you think, you're supposed to be the bloody experts. Why am I explaining it to you? Um, now he's we get he's very passionate about this. He, yeah, you can well, see his, yes. If you could see his face, everyone listening, yeah, he's very passionate. Yeah, they've got to learn somehow. So, you know, <laughs> fast forward to here. And now suddenly we've changed the concept completely. <laughs> now suddenly, okay, so now new rule, the person who's fastest on Friday gets pole position, even though, like in the case of Interlagos, you know, Hamilton's fastest, uh, but he gets a penalty, he has to start from the back of the sprint grid, and he doesn't start from the front of the uh, Grand Prix grid. So you've got pole position, and there was two starts, and you weren't on pole position for either of them. <laughs> <laughs> How am I supposed to explain this to somebody? <laughs> you know, yeah, he's on pole position. Okay, so he's at the front. No, he's last. Why? Oh, well, there was a penalty. But well, well, which start was it? It was the the, the penalty was for Saturday. Oh, okay, so he'd be on pole position on Sunday. No, no. he won't be either. <laughs> well, well, what, what does that mean? You've just completely ruined the concept of pole position. That so cannot. That it's such. It, uh, you're not happy about this, then, as you can tell, as you can tell, and as as is normally the case. <laughs> nobody asked me about it. And I'm supposed to be the person they come to for these, you know, facts and figures, statistical history, what have you. No one comes to me about it. They just arbitrarily decide in their infinite wisdom, right, from now on, the ruling is this. I had this with Formula One teams in terms of numbers of starts they've made. Mm. A great example was when um, Force India became racing point and they decided, right, from now on, uh, uh, our, our history starts Belgium 2018. And I said, but the car you enter is a Force India. You're racing a Force India chassis. So the numbers go to Force India until right. you change the name on the front of the car because that's how it's always been defined in Formula One. What does the name say on the chassis? It's a race, it's a Force India. Okay, so it goes to Force India. Mm. So your history begins at Australia 2019. I know you bought the team before then, but it doesn't apply until you enter a racing point chassis. Thus, 
your history starts at Australia 2019, you know, and so on and so on. AlphaTauri, again, you know, it was Tara Rosso from 2006, maybe the same ownership, but you've changed the name of the team. Mm. Therefore, AlphaTauri's history begins in 2020. You, you know, these are, hard, these, these are known, you know, uh, lines that we don't cross over because it gets incredibly opaque and complicated if we, if we start redrawing the, redrawing the lines. And by changing pole position, I'm thinking, oh my God, uh, what am I going to do with this? You know, <laughs> you have a situation where somebody could be on pole and there could be two starts in a weekend and he's not on pole for either of them, but he mm. is on pole. Oh my, you know, just spare me. <laughs> uh, are we calling the sprints a race now or are we, or are we calling them just a sprint still? I, 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 that, I'm still stuck on that one. I understand why they didn't want to call it a race because they didn't, they didn't want it. They didn't want it to, to accredit it with the pomp and circumstance of the Grand Prix. And they mm. wanted to keep the Grand Prix special. You know, they didn't want to dilute that part. So I get that. I pers- I mean, I'm not offended if somebody calls it a sprint race because mm. of course in GP2 and F2, we called it a sprint race. The Sunday morning race was the sprint race for forever. Um, so we're used to saying those terms. I, I try and avoid calling it a race. I, I confess. I confess. I drank the Kool Aid and said, "Okay, I'll try and call it a sprint. I won't call it a sprint race. I'll call it a sprint. Sprint qualifying. Call it that. How about that? Sprint qualifying. That sound good? Good. Okay. Sprint qualifying. It is. Um, Are you contractually contractually obliged to not say sprint race? No one's told me I'm contractually obligated to avoid saying that term. Um, perhaps I'm about to find out who I was." <laughs> Uh, are, are there any other things that are going to affect your keeping statistics this year um, that, that you're aware of? Um, no, I mean, it, it's important to remember that Formula One as a sport is, a, is an organic being. It evolves in ways that other sports don't um, because there's so much science and engineering involved. Mm. And so the fact that we've changed the regulations this year regarding aero is it's not that big of a deal. You know, it's, it's like, okay, well, this has happened forevermore. You know, since the days when we put the engine first, put the engine behind the driver. Yeah, um, it's just that that constantly happens. Um, the, we've changed the you know the length of time for practice sessions, what time of day they happen. Well, they used to happen late in the day in the fifties and sixties. Anyway, it used mm. to be sort of almost arbitrary. I can recall many stories where they would say, you know, so qualifying, you know, practice is supposed to be starting in 10 minutes, but, you know, uh, I don't know, Jean-Pierre Beltoise isn't here yet. He was out late last night and he hasn't showed up. So let's just give it another 50 and see if he shows up before we start. That would never happen now, of course. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, these are, you know, it's just the normal ebb and flow of how Formula One regulations evolve. There's nothing, there's nothing particular about that. As you can tell, the whole pole position thing kind of struck a nerve with me, but the rest of it, Actually, there's that, and also the other thing which I think is controversial is the the, the points allocation for the sprint this year. Ah, uh, yes. You know, the fact that we've got this eight points for a, for a sprint victory. Yeah. Um, not a pole position. So you get eight <laughs> points to win this race that does not decide who's on pole. It decides who's first on the grid on Sunday, but not pole position. We've already decided it's the guy who was fastest yesterday in a session that doesn't actually set the grid. <laughs> so... Um, so now we've got this unfortunate situation developing where you've got quite a lot of points being allocated on Saturday mm. and you could have a championship decided on Saturday. That was previously a possibility at Interlagos. Mm. It was only three points. You could only get three points. So it was, it was unlikely because it was such a small allocation. Now you've got eight points. So now there's a chance, a bigger chance, that somebody 
could tune in on Sunday expecting to see a title battle, and then they could be told, no, uh, he clinched it yesterday. Yeah. Um, so this is all a dead rubber from now on. Take your st- statistician's head off for a second. And, and, and as a fan of Formula One, did you enjoy the sprints? I thought they were all right. Um, I, I thought, I, I must confess, I, I initially was resistant, mm-hmm. but I kept an open mind. I thought, well, let's see how this goes. And I thought the first one, the Silverstone one went really well. Um, I th- and it really, I can't deny it, it's completely rehabilitated Friday. I mean, Friday yeah. is a non-event, but suddenly it makes Friday what uh, total watchable appointment tv again mm-hmm. um so they certainly brought that back out of the doldrums um and it's important to qualify my 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 resistance with the fact that at the end of the day we're not here to listen to numbers we're here to look, to see the guys race each other and all the other stuff is a side effect of that yeah you know and if 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 this makes it better if it makes the whole product better, more exciting, more people want to see it, then that's then they've done the right thing. And it's old farts like me are not, <laughs> you know, that we shouldn't stand in the way of trying to make 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 the whole thing better overall. Just because it's we've always done it this way, mm. it doesn't always have to be this way. You know, as Alex Wurtz once points out, once upon a time we always wore cotton shirts and cork helmets. You know. <laughs> You can't just do it because that's how it was always done. You yeah, move yeah. on. So yeah. um, as, 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 comedic, as much comedic value as there is in me resisting this whole pole position redefinition thing, and, and, I, still, and I stand my ground on that one. Um, ultimately, oh, you're stupid. I agree with you. <laughs> ultimately, ultimately, most people in the world are not going to give a toss about it. So <laughs> it's not, it's not going to be that big of a deal in terms of the history books. People are just going to... They want to turn on and say, okay, so Hamilton is on not pole and Verstappen's in second place. <laughs> Away we go, you know. <laughs> okay, let, what, what statistics uh, or records are you, uh, are you thinking will be or may be broken this year? Have you, have you, have you got any, anything written down yet uh, about your, uh, that you've prepped kind of the TV companies with? Uh, well, I haven't written anything down yet because I'm still, um, I'm still in the process of, you know, filling out database architecture for this year and stuff like that. But um, first and foremost, the retirement of Kimi Raikkonen, the mm-hmm. leader in longevity, uh, leader in laps, la- uh, laps raced, kilometers raced, most Grand Prix starts. Yeah. All of those will be taken by Alonso this year. If Alonso races a full season because Alonso is second in that category. Okay. Um, so uh, that they, You'll see at some point this year, Alonso will become the Iron Man of F1 history uh, after Kimi Räikkönen's brief run. And it's unusual that it's unusual that the record changes hands very often. Hmm. If I think about it, um, Graham Hill had the record 176 when he started his last Grand Prix, which I think off the top of my head was the 1975 Brazilian Grand Prix. Somebody check that. Um, hmm. That that record stood until Jacques Lafitte tied it at Brands Hatch in '86. A race in which he broke both his legs. He never started another race. So the two of them were tied. Um, three years later, Ricardo Patrese took it, Rio 89. Patrese held the record until Turkey 08 when Barrichello, Barrichello. beat him. Hmm. Um, so he had it for, what, 19 years. Um, hmm. And then, uh, who am I missing after that? It was, it was Barrichello who held it all the way up until when Raikkonen passed it. Um, and Raikkonen passed it in, don't remember where. 
somewhere very exciting, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure it was a record that he was really happy to have. It, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I can't tell you how excited he was. We had to, we had to, we couldn't show the footage because it was like he uh, just couldn't. He was just overwhelmed. Um, <laughs> but very, very quick. It's very unusual that we'd have that record broken twice in quick succession because it changes hands so seldomly. Because uh, as always, it's the most starts ever. You have to have been there a very long time to beat it. So it's unusual that Raikkonen and Alonso have had these concurrent careers mm. uh, almost the same amount of time. The other thing was back at the success end of the market, you've got Lewis Hamilton going for the most wins at one circuit. I think he's won, I think, eight times at Silverstone and Hungara Ring, I think it is. Right. Um, no one's won the same track nine times. So, um, you know, there's, there's, there's those success records. Um, he was one lap away, lest I recall, lest I remind everybody, he was one lap away from being the oldest world champion since 1993. Um, we, you know, you might think of Hamilton as a young driver, but, um, I mean, he's 37 now, so... Uh, yeah, it's getting on a bit. And, uh, <laughs> hey, I'm 37. <laughs> I, I'm older than 37. Um, but yeah, he was about to be the oldest world champion since Alain Prost. Um, so uh, he's he's putting his own longevity numbers on the board as well. Uh, so look for that. You know, if he wins it back, probably have a certain a certain element of Muhammad Ali winning back the world heavyweight championship uh, when he was supposedly passed his sell-by date in terms of age. But yeah. of course, you know, I wouldn't, I would never say that Lewis would pass his sell-by date judging by the way he drives. <laughs> um, but it will, it will have a certain element of the champ is back if he should win that title back, uh, well, at any point in the next, whether it's this season or, or the following season. Also, I should add, he can also go for uh, nine pole positions at a racetrack as well, uh, which, is all, which would also be a record. No one's done that. He's done it at Melbourne and the Hungara Ring and the other ones are Senna at Imola and Schumacher at Suzuka. So no one's taken nine poles at a single venue. Um, and then, of course, all, all the records he's already had, he's just going to keep piling up the numbers. Yeah. Um, you know, he's going to get to, uh, I think he's on 100, I think he has 103 wins and 103 pole positions um, at this precise moment, which is, uh, there's a nice round numbers. He could go for the hat-trick record. I think the hat-trick record is 20... I two? think it's 20, 20, 22, 22. 20, 22. Thank you. I can remember it's 21 or 22 by Michael Schumacher. Uh, he's only a few short of that. 19. And then the, big, and then the thank you. And then the, um, the, the, the real Holy Grail is the Grand Slam record, which is Jim Clark's record of eight, which has stood since 1965. That is the oldest standing record, the oldest standing success record in Formula One. Um, and uh, I think he's a couple short there. And there's been several, there's been several occasions throughout his career where he has had the Grand Slam in the bag and someone's taken the fast slap on the final lap. Uh. Um, <laughs> so he would have already been past that record, but he's lost it on that basis. Mm. Um, but that, that, that to me, that record has stood, you know, the entire time I've worked in F1 and a long time, well, in fact, it stood the entire time I've been alive. Mm. Um, so that is the, 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 one the to real, be. the real ancient F1 record. The fact that you can, not, there's not many records in Formula One today where you say, this is Jim Clark's record. It's all these days, it's Schumacher's record or it's Hamilton's record um, or it's Raikkonen's record. Well, this was a Jim Clark record. So, so yeah, it stood the test of time. That is real history. And just shows how good he was actually in, in racing in general because he, he raced everything, didn't he? He did. And, and he only started 72 Grand Prix in Formula One, uh, winning 25 of them. And my, one of my favorite statistics in Formula One is Jim Clark, 
had 25 Grand Prix wins and finished second once. So where he would he would either win the race or the car would break down. He was that good. <laughs> he was. He and was. also he had of course he also had the poles record back in the day, thirty three, which he 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 held that record for twenty one years until Senna beat it at Phoenix in eighty nine. So wow. um, uh, yeah, thirty three pole positions to Jim Clark. And of course, in the future, if somebody gets up to thirty three pole positions, we'll say. But of course, he didn't actually. He was never on pole position. For the, any of the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll have that problem to deal with. Good luck with that. That's something for someone else to deal with in the future. Yeah. Um, future statisticians. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think Sophia's prepared a few questions to try and stump the stat man. Now let's not get too technical in terms of lap times. Uh, yeah. which she started. <laughs> she started sending me over different lap times, and uh, I was like, "Oh, you won't. You won't know those. That not not." I'm not downplaying your your intelligence uh, here, sure. No, that, that's it's my job to downplay my intelligence. <laughs> don't steal my don't steal my act. <laughs> but I, I I thought she was uh, Sophia's obviously looking at very kind of drilled down data. But let, let, let let's see if we can get Sophia to to stump the stat man today. Uh, I can't, him, I can't imagine this is going to be. This is not going to be a lengthy segment, I shouldn't think. <laughs> well, I mean, you already kind of answered one of the questions I was going to ask about the Grand Slams. Um, but additional Lewis records that could be broken this year is the most podium finishes that aren't wins. Kimi mm-hmm. Raikkonen has 82, finishing either second or third. Hamilton is at 79. Mm-hmm. Um and there was another one. Oh, uh, most starts and slash entries with a single constructor. So yes, one hundred seventy nine is Schumacher, isn't it? Yep. So he's very close on that. And Hamilton will break that, um, making his one hundred eightieth start in Saudi. Um, who, which driver has the most consecutive front rows? The most consecutive front row starts. Um, uh, that would have been. I think it was Senna, was it not? Yep. And it was from, let me get this right, um, would have been from ooh, Germany 88 to uh, Australia 89. Yeah, <laughs> that's wow. correct. We saw, I actually saw, visibly saw cogs turning uh, on your screen then, <laughs> and you were working yeah. it out. It was quite fascinating so, to watch. <laughs> that would have been eight, that would have been 24 in a row, am I right? Yep. Wow. Because yeah, the last eight races of 88 and all 16 in 89. Do you take a guess at who's second? Who's second on the list? Um, uh, mm, it's not. Uh, it's not Damon Hill, is it? No. Because Damon. He's third. Damon yeah, oh, right. Because Damon was on the front row at every race in '96. Who else could it possibly have been? <laughs> um, I'll just tell me. I don't know who's. I can't remember. Who's Lewis that. Hamilton with twenty. Uh, I can't. I can't remember. Can't remember when it happened. That was the thing. Belgium, twenty fourteen to Italy, twenty fifteen. Thank you very much. Wow. Pleasure doing business. <laughs> so uh, you didn't stump him with the initial question. He got it absolutely no. right. But with, with the follow-up, we yeah. stumped the Statman. Well, you stumped the Statman. I, I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> so that's, uh, hang on a minute. I'm just going to check the new regulations. That's half points awarded. Um, oh, yeah. And also, and also somehow I've ended up with a pole position, which I don't know how that happened. We just give them out now. Yeah. Just forever. Um, who has the record for the most involvements? The most appearances at a Grand Prix? No, no, no. Involvements, um, like crashes. 
Oh, most retirements. Like, yeah. Yeah. It is either it's either Rubens Barrichello or Andrea De Cesaris. Oh yeah. First one. Um, Rubens Barrichello. I think, they, I think they might be first and second. Yeah, like literally, like minuscule between the two of them. What's the numbers on that? I think because I think De Cesaris retired from one hundred and thirty-six of two hundred and eight. I think. Yeah, I think it's like a five five race difference almost. Right. Five and in, in the case. And De Cesaris is a spectacular one because he actually finished on the podium twice. I think he finished on the podium five times in his career and twice of them he didn't actually finish the race. Because <laughs> twice, twice of them he ran out of fuel. Monaco 82 and Belgium 87. He ran out of fuel and still finished on the podium. There were only two cars in the race for the end <laughs> up then. <laughs> yeah, well, Monaco 82, of course, was the famous race where James Hunt says, well, we're all sitting here waiting for a winner to come through. We don't seem to be getting one because everybody was spinning <laughs> off and crashing and running out of fuel. Oh, next question, Sophia. Yep. Who has the record for the most first lap retirements? That is Jarno Truly. Um, yeah. With uh, da, 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 15? No. 14. Uh, 20. 20. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you were close the first one. You, 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 got the, you got the correct answer anyway. Right. Who has the most disqualifications? Uh, Martin Brundle. Nope. No. Nope. Really? Hmm. He's uh, second. He's second, yeah. Uh, Stefan Belf. Yeah. Yeah, because it was his teammate. They both they were both very for <laughs> Tyrrell in 84. And, um, but the Tyrrell team were excluded from the season in 84 for supposedly, supposedly running illegal fuel. It's quite a long-winded thing, but basically what had happened was, was refueling had been banned at the end of 83. Hmm. But... Tyrrell at the time were one of the holdouts that didn't have a turbo engine. They only had the Cosworth. So they had a different weight limit. They were, they were a lot lighter, a lot more nimble than the turbos. And they came up with an idea where they thought, well, we can't refuel. What we could do is we could um, uh, add ballast during the race. During the race. If, we, if we attach a water line at a late pit stop and, and put water in there, um, we could fill the, the car up and make it hit the weight limit at the end. So it was an ingenious way around ah. the regulations. Um, but what they would also do is uh, they would fill the line uh, with lead, lead shot. So they would pump <laughs> lead shot balls in there as well, just to Whoa. make it doubly ballast. You know? <laughs> that, that definitely works. All was well. So cause the idea was you had to have, it, it, it had to be ballast that required tools to remove it, right? And Ken Tyrrell, in his infinite wisdom, would say, well, I have to take the fuel tank out to get these lead shot out. So that definitely requires tools to remove the ballast. <laughs> okay, fine. You've explained yourself. Then there was some controversy about uh, they wanted to, I think it was, maybe your listeners will correct me, the turbo teams didn't want a reduction in the fuel tank size from 225, I think, what was it? 225 to 195 litres, I think it was. Um, and Tyrrell were holding out. They were the Cosworth team, and they were, well, they were totally fine with fuel. They didn't have a problem with fuel, but the turbo teams did. Mm. And apparently, the, the whole thing went that they'd set up Tyrrell to say, okay, we've had a look at the, the water that you're putting in here, and it's got 35% gasoline, which, you know, therefore makes, means you're illegally refueling, you're thrown out of the championship. And then the turbo teams were then able to vote to say, we're not reducing the fuel limit in 1986. And, mm. and that's, that's the long game that was played there, which resulted in what you're looking at on the disqualification screen. Stefan Belloff and Martin Brundle disqualified from all the races in 84. That's how we got there. 
Ah, there you go. Literally, was... like one off. Like Martin Brundle was like one off in the disqualification. So that it's is, quite close. That's such a big, long political maneuver just to get what they wanted. That right. Well, basically, it was ganging up on Tyrrell because yeah. they basically, so if we could get Tyrrell out of here and yeah. for just for just for this vote on whether we change this rule, mm. then we, we we this problem gets punted and we kick it down the line to uh, to eighty seven. When eventually the fuel the fuel limit was reduced to one hundred and ninety five. Um, uh, but yeah, at the time it was all big politics. And I think, I think they set, they shook Tyrrell down big time because Tyrrell weren't doing anything wrong. Mm. They just made it look like they were. <laughs> Tyrrell had actually come up with the fact, Tyrrell had actually come up with a brilliant way of shithousing the regulations and, <laughs> and everyone else was mad because they couldn't do it because they had, they needed so much fuel to get to the end of the race. They had nowhere to put a water tank on their car. Whereas Tyrrell are going around with this little buzzing little sewing machine car, which is much, <laughs> much quicker in the corners, but dog slow on the straights. Mm. And that's how Brundle ended up finishing second in Detroit that year, which of course is a, rec- is a podium that is expunged from the record books. It no longer exists. And Brundle also mm. lost finishing fifth in his debut. He would have been one of the drivers to finish in the points on his Grand Prix debut. That also does, does not exist in the record books. I bet, I bet it still exists in the Brundle household. <laughs> I, I, I would certainly hope it does, because as far as I was concerned, it was all legitimate. It was uh, a brilliant Brilliant, brilliant think way around the regulations. Let's have one more stump the Statman question from Sophia. Pick, right. pick, pick your best one of the, of the last ones you've got. Because it went quite well to begin with. Looking as a constructor's point of view, who has had the most consecutive front rows? Um, I think that's Mercedes now, isn't it? Nope. Uh, is it not? They haven't passed the Williams team. No, they have not. Because uh, Williams had, um, do you know what? Maybe they're one short. Were they? Were they? Are they one behind? No. Are they not? Well, I'm no. Just there's, a team in be- there's a team in between. Because <laughs> <laughs> I recall, I recall the, the I recall the record. I recall us getting close to that record at one yeah. point. Williams were on the front row every Grand Prix from. It would have been. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, well, obviously, it was in the mid. It would have been in the nineties. And it would have been, I think, Ferrari had a front row lock at the Belgian Grand Prix in 1995. So let's start with Italy 95 and go through to something else somewhere in 97. Am I? No. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, maybe I'm thinking of polls. Now it's starting to go into the, the realm of the psychic. Now I'm just doing cold reading. Like, <laughs> let, me just, yell, let me just yell names out and eventually one of these will be correct. Um, <laughs> Oh, in that case, it must have been 92, 92 South Africa to um, 93. No, wait, they're on every, they're on the pole. They're on the front row of every race in 93, I think. Um, blimey, Charlie, it's not coming to me. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is just uh, due to kind of off-season rust. You, you'll, if we'd well, have asked maybe. you these questions, yeah. you know. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Um, maybe. maybe it would have been up to Silverstone 94. I don't know. Uh, what was the answer? So Williams from South Africa, 1992, to San Marino, 1994. So, of course. Yes, because Hacken and, and Schumacher were on the front row in Monaco that year. So, yes, that's where that run would have ended. Unfortunately, so, unfortunately, and mitigating circumstances for me, a race remembered for quite different reasons. The, South Af- the San Marino Grand Prix of 1994. Yes. I wasn't born. Then. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's us, my age. <laughs> those, of us who are, those of us who are alive for that one will never forget that day. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, McLaren is second with 33. 
and then it's Mercedes at 30. Right. I might have been confusing it with a consecutive pole positions record. Um, because I, yeah. think, I think Mercedes ended up one short of Williams at one point. For... Yeah. I don't think they have that record. Um, but yeah, Mercedes Bahrain 2017 was when it came crashing down. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. That was at a Ferrari um, front row lockout, right? No, I'm trying to think. No, Bahrain uh, 2017 was their last one. So it was the race after Bahrain. Oh, it was won by it was won by Ferrari. That's what I'm. That's what in my I'm. Con- <laughs> I'm putting the two together because Vettel won that race in a Ferrari, and it looked like it was going to be a Ferrari World Championship that year because he won two of the first three, and then ah, no, no, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say the Statman still won. Uh, I think it was four two. I think Sophia, you definitely did stump him for a couple of those. Um, so we'll take some kind of bragging rights over the Statman there, but. Well, I like that I was asked questions that I never normally asked. You know, <laughs> like who has the who has the constructor front row street? I've, no one ever asked me that question. Who has the most cr- disqualifications? Who has the most retirements? They're all questions I never get asked. You know, they're like they're like oldest driver questions. You never get asked those. Like, who is the oldest driver to score a point in a Grand Prix? Nobody knows the answer. No one ever asks. Is that Fangio? Um, it's uh, Louis Chiron, I believe, mm-hmm. 1955 Monaco Grand Prix. But you never get asked that question. Um, so yeah, they're very, very, uh, I, I like, I like the Afang real outlier questions rather than just <laughs> yeah. asking me normal, normal, the normal sort of stuff, like, you know, um, who had the wins record before Alain Prost or something like that, you know, this is not, I'm much more used to hearing. So oh, I, 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 I commend, I commend your ability to ask me original questions. Oh, I was, but I, I, I heard that you've pretty much answered every single question from the previous podcast. So I wanted to <laughs> stump yeah. you as best as I could without being too technical because I like my numbers more than like lap times and statistics numbers more than anything else. So Yeah, you see, you should be informed on, on the team side. Yeah. Because <laughs> you can do stuff that the teams would find useful. When, when you're not talented enough to be working for a team, you can stand on the other side and just sit here talking about it all day like I do. <laughs> I mean, if any teams are interested, like if they're listening, give me right. a shout. <laughs> Plug myself a little bit on that. <laughs> right. Just from a fan's perspective then, which was your favourite livery that's been released, Sean, for, for the year? Have you got a favourite car that, you, that you'd like the look of? I love the Aston Martin. I love the Ferrari. I love, yeah. the, I love the I love the nod to the 1990s deco on the Ferrari. That's that suits me just fine. As I pointed out on Twitter, the last Ferrari Formula One car entered by Enzo Ferrari, the 1988 car, was in that that color scheme. So hmm. to me, like if you're going to make a big deal of it being 75 years of Ferrari racing, um, yeah, that's a good way to do it. It's a beautiful um, looking car. It is. It is. It is. I mean, the, I'm, I'm, I'm heartened by how many people have said how much they like the new generation of cars, how they look. Mm. Um, I, I would say that I wish we didn't have the, the wheel covers um, I, or at least do something a little bit more exciting with them because we can't see the brakes uh, glowing now, mm. which means I've, I've always said that it's important in sport to be able to see what the sportsman is doing, you know, yeah. And, and we like watching cars from 35 years ago because you would see the soaring at the wheel. You could see the driver changing gear. You could see, you know, you could see him kick the back out and you, uh-huh. you, there was a, you could sense the human input of the car. And, and unfortunately, because of safety, um, although the safety is good, we've, we've ended up with a situation where we can't really see the driver very well. Mm. But if we could see his input, if we can see him slide the car, we know he's in there. 
you know yeah. and another way we did that was seeing the brakes glowing like there's some you know there's a human foot causing that to happen so if we cover that up it's one more thing that we've lost that we can't see that there is actually somebody operating that and pressing that um so i hope uh, either we find a way around it or we at least make the wheel covers look cool um, yeah I, there, are, there are a lot of people saying they look like spare wheels yeah alfa romeo have, uh, have painted theirs and mclaren put a bit more than just the standard single stripe around them so maybe they'll maybe they'll evolve as the season comes on but i, I i'm with you I, I absolutely hate wheel covers but i i understand the <clears throat> the aero advantage of having them um obviously well the the wake um issues that that, that wheels yeah. uncovered were it, it is were interesting providing. by the way that uh, once you listen to the full explanation of why things have been done the way they've been done mm. like and they haven't just arbitrarily decided let's put wheel covers on or let's put these fins above the wheels or yeah. they haven't done any of that it's like no we've gone root and branch all the way through this car trying to think of exactly how we want this to work so yeah as always kids remember listen to scientists there <laughs> it's not fake news it's only science yeah <laughs> i'm just excited for this year it's it, it, it's off the back of what we had last year um i'm i'm really excited as 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 to what we're going to witness hopefully more than just two teams at the top um hopefully we'll see a mclaren there the ferrari there maybe maybe a, an alpha Tauri, maybe an aston martin we, we just don't know yeah. do we we don't and we don't we don't know how the financial regulations will play in we don't know how it's just the simple fact that somebody might have stolen a march with the new regulations. Everybody expects Adrian Newey to have found something that everybody else hasn't found because that's normally what happens. Mm. But there's no guarantee of that. And even if there was, the fact that you know the Haas team get 25% more time in the wind tunnel than do Mercedes now, that can factor in as well. So we don't know how all that's going to go. And what I do hope is it's important to remember that the cars are designed to be able to follow each other closer. It's not necessarily designed to aid to make overtaking easier because we already have it as easy as it can be. You hit a button and you go past. Yeah. What we what we want is quality overtakes. The fact that you have to tow somebody up, set them up, and dive out on the inside of them under braking, and we want that back. We don't want to have to rely on this artificial DRS stuff. And I, I agree with Ross Braun that hopefully we can wean ourselves off of that addiction. Um, you know, hopefully they DR- won't have DRS at some point. Is that is that the plan? Yeah, I think that's that that would be the hope. Yeah, that we could get back to the fact that these guys can just race each other on the racetrack and not have to bother with this artificial stuff. DRS has been very good at putting a band-aid over that problem, mm. but here's fingers crossed that we got it right and that this will lead to now. Now we're returning to old school racing where you tow somebody up and you try and get them on the brakes. Um, because uh, let's face it, if, if Ross Braun and company cannot solve this problem, there is no one else on earth better qualified to understand it. So... Um, this is this is our best shot yet. Okay, and, and one more thing that I want to want you to do. I, I I don't want you to pick a winner because there's no way we could do that at this early stage uh, of uh, in the regulations. We haven't even seen them competing. But could you make maybe a bold prediction for the season? Um, I just don't know. And perhaps that's the ba- that's the best epitaph I can give to this podcast. <laughs> as as of right now, I don't know. Mm. We we do not know. We, there isn't because there isn't continuity from last year. There, no. I mean, perhaps there is in power units to an extent, but it's a clean sheet of paper. It's a, it's a new set of rules, a new set of financing, and the one thing we do have is a continuation of this uh, war between the, t- the two preeminent drivers of the era. Yeah, it'll be a ratings bonanza. Whatever happens, it should be. And and the fact that we have to tune in. If anything, that porpoising thing proves. This is why we run the races, folks, because what it says (laughs) in the wind tunnel doesn't necessarily translate to what it is on the racetrack. Absolutely.
Can, can I just uh, jump in quickly? I've got a question to ask you, Sean. Uh, I have the, the glorious delight of getting to my first Grand Prix this year at Silverstone. So give me some advice. Never been to a Grand Prix before. I'm only going the Friday, Saturday. They were sold out for the Grand Prix and the weekend tickets. Uh, so for somebody who's been around the Grand Prix and around the Pirate, what, what am I going to expect? Well, Silverstone... Silverstone is akin to going to an open-air music festival. The, the, <clears> the, 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 the way you experience a Grand Prix is different from venue to venue. You know, Abu Dhabi is like the Instagrammers piss-up, basically, because everybody all ends up everybody ends up on a yacht. It's all very exclusive. It's a fantastic race to go to, but a completely <laughs> different vibe to, say, Silverstone, where people camp, and it's 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 all terribly British, um, <laughs> but, but, but fantastically so because it's 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 what Silverstone is. It is an open air music festival mm. with some Formula One thrown in, and and that makes it um, fantastic. And I think you know you you, you kind of want to wallow in that part. You know, don't go and stay in a nice hotel. You know, so if, you, if you can, if you can stay in a nice, if you try and get an Airbnb bungalow or something like that, or if you if you if you don't want to stay in a tent yourself, of course. Um, no, we've we've booked the prices to get anything close to Silverstone were astronomical for like for three days, so we're we're staying in Birmingham in like a travel lodge, okay. which is about an hour away. So a little bit, a little bit of a drive. But, it's about yeah. an hour away from the circuit, but. It was, I think it was under three hundred pound. Was it was it under three hundred pound for three nights with breakfast, and it was over a thousand pound for three nights with breakfast if it were anywhere near the circuit. So. That's that's one hell of a breakfast they're serving. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, we, we we sucked that up, but it's I, I can't wait. It's just even even though we're not going to see the race, but I'm taking the boy. He's a. He's got into it because, well, he's got a dad like me who's always talking about <laughs> it and always saying things and actually tried to phone me and I'm like, I'm on the podcast. Uh, what's up? What's happening? How old is he? He'll be 12 by the time we go. Oh, okay. Well, my first race, coincidentally, was the Birmingham Formula 3000 Super Prix in 87. They used to run a Formula 3000 race around the streets of Birmingham. And I was six when I went to that. And, well, look what's happened since then. And, in fact... Um, you know, you're setting him up for a lifetime of this, I forewarn you. But um, think of this. This is quite a twee little story. In 2019, I went to Silverstone and I was allowed to invite my dad as a VIP guest in the paddock. And the race, wow. was, on, the race was on my birthday, July the 14th. I'm um, July the 14th as well. Hey, Sorry. there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Glory to France, glory to the Bastille. Bastille Day. Uh, yes. Um, so on, I, I was allowed to bring, bring my dad. They gave him like the full VIP treatment. He met everybody. Like he, he was hanging out with Coulthard and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, got to go up and down the grid. He got to go in the, in the, in the garage and everything. Sorry, I'm, I'm making this a little bit about me. But the point I was trying to make <laughs> was um, on the way there, we drove into Birmingham and we stopped at the start line of the 1987 and I said, Dad, you brought me here when I was a kid, and this is kind of where it all started. Now we're going to get back in the car and we're driving to Silverstone, and we're going to be in the paddock, and it's going no. to be you're going to see me work in Formula One. Wow! But it all started here in this kind of slightly grubby, rundown street. No, no, there's no, there's no record of the race ever happening there. But it was like we were here back in the day. Was and now, I'm, the now I'm grown up. 
were you outside like a Bristol Street Motors at that point? Bristol I'm, Street I'm, Motors, uh, yes, it, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I'm, I'm like, a Brummy, by the way. That's why I remember. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's right down by because um, Bristol Street onto onto Belgrave Middleway. Yeah. Um, blah blah blah. Sherlock Street, etc. Pershaw Street, etc. Uh-huh. Um, we digress. Uh, but yes, ho- hopefully you'll have moments like that, father and son moments like the one that we had, um, because I remember everything that happened about that Super Free weekend. So he's going to drink that stuff in and he's going to remember it the rest of his life. And that's that's why you want to go. And I always think that when I see little kids at the racetrack, if we're entertaining little kids, I'm like, man, he's he's me at that Super Birmingham Super Free. Like, you have to make this the coolest thing ever if he doesn't already think it's the coolest thing ever. Like, like mm. show him why it's the coolest thing ever. So yeah, th- those are the things you're going to live for. It won't necessarily be what wing setting Lewis Hamilton's running in qualifying. It'll be just like, do you remember, son, when you know Max Verstappen tripped over coming out the toilet and we saw it? You know? <laughs> <laughs> it'll be little thing. It'll be little things like that that just make the weekend perfect. So yeah, drink that stuff in. It's going to be fantastic. No, I mean, at the end of last season, we done a live watch along at the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, and I was in the kitchen because he was here and he's. And I had to run through the living room because he stopped playing with his toys and doing his thing because the end of the Grand Prix was even for a 12-year-old because he had it on his telly. He was like, what's going on? And I had a delay, <laughs> so I'm having to run through. And then he's jumping up and down because he's a Verstappen fan. And, I, and then when I said to him, because I wasn't 100% sure if he wanted to go because he just started talking about it. And the minute I said, minute Silverstone came out of my mouth, does that mean I could see Verstappen on the track and I could see this and I could do that? And I'm like, oh, I might have touched the nerve. I said, yes. <laughs> it's, it's a six and a half hour drive, though, to get there and back. However, this is what we're doing. And right. he, just, he just keeps asking, right, so when's it happening? Is it happening? Is it this? When's it that? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what we'll do. If I'm at Silverstone uh, working on that race, you you find me and we'll bring him in the paddock and I'll show him around, all right? Wow. Oh, nice. I'll give you a shout. I've got the access to the Everything F1 Twitter, so... Give me All a right. show then. Well, you nag me nearer the time. And if I'm there, I'll bring you in and we'll give you the, the quick lap of the place and we'll yell nice. at people. Oi, Will, get over here. <laughs> oh, perfect. Fantastic. Oh. All right. Okay, on that note then, that's a, a lovely way to end. Thank you very much for, uh, for coming to speak to us today, Sean. Um, it's always a pleasure to have you on. No worries. I probably just invited like 200 direct messages asking the same question. <laughs> 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 right, child's addicted to Formula One. Yeah, yeah I've, only got, I've only got so many passes I could give, unfortunately. But yeah, and, it's all, and not only that, but I have to ask permission anyway. So, you know, it's still no guarantee, but I can at least ask. <laughs> but yes, thank you very much for coming to speak to us. Thank you to my team as well for coming to speak to us on the podcast. Thank you, Sophia and Coops. Thank you. Thank you. This has been the Everything F1 podcast. You can find us on all social medias. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. You can also find us on our shiny website, www.everythingf1.com. We would also love it if you hit that bell on your podcast streaming service so you can subscribe to all of our latest podcasts uh, and you'll get them as soon as they drop directly into your earlobes. Um, Sean, did you want to promote yourself and anything that you want people to go and find you on? You can find my brand of mirth on at virtual statman on twitter instagram and all good bookshops <laughs> <laughs> so all that's left for me to say is thank you very much for our listeners to coming to listen to us today we will speak to you next week bye-bye bye-bye, bye-bye. bye-bye.